0: Hey little buddies, it's Uncle Rick. I'm here with your weekly podcast, and today I'm reading a story out of Brave Deeds of Confederate Soldiers, which is a book on the Uncle Rick Audiobook Club. You may have already listened to it, but if you do, you'll enjoy hearing this story again, I promise. Bell Boyd, the spy. During the early months of the war, the lower valley of the Shenandoah was the scene of an unusual activity on the part of southern spies, whose zealousness was very much encouraged by the conditions which prevailed there throughout that period. First, the people living in this corner of Virginia were almost fanatically loyal to the Confederate government, and they were so not only because the most influential citizens were descended from the oldest families in the state, but above all because persons of every class had been violently alarmed and embittered by the John Brown Raid, which, had it succeeded, would have plunged them into all horrors of a slave insurrection. In the second place, the entire region was constantly passing from the hands of the Confederates under the control of the Federals, or the reverse. Now, the Northern Army would advance from Harper's Ferry, as far as Winchester and Front Royal. Then the Southern would suddenly face about and drive them back, and in their turn take possession of these towns which in a short time would be abandoned, only to be reoccupied by the Federal troops. One week, a family would find their home subject to the daily inspection of the Federal Provost Marshal. The next, they'd be receiving friendly visits from distinguished Confederate officers. Must have been a confusing time. In the light of the local devotion to the Confederate cause, and also of these opportunities to collect and report information of high value from a military point of view, it was natural that there should be spies in every neighborhood who would be furtively engaged in transmitting such information to General Jackson, who was opposing the Federal armies in that part of Virginia. The most famous of all these spies was Belle Boyd, the daughter of a Confederate officer, who was the head of a wealthy and widely connected family residing at Martinsburg, a town situated not far from Harper's Ferry. and that's in West Virginia now, but it was in Virginia then. She was just 17 years of age when the war broke out, and had only recently left the schoolroom. Beautiful, intelligent, and high-spirited, and passionately loyal to the Confederate cause, she was as cool in courage and as firm in purpose as the bravest soldier on the battlefield. When General Shields occupied Front Royal, he took possession of the home of Bell Boyd's grandmother, who resided there, and made it his headquarters. There was a small cottage within the enclosure, and to this the members of the family, among them Bell Boyd herself, withdrew. Having become an object of suspicion to the federal authorities in Martinsburg by their seizure of a letter, which she was about to send General Jackson, she found herself so closely watched that she decided to visit her relations in Front Royal. She soon got on an easy and friendly footing with the Federal Commander, a genial Irishman, and took advantage of her constant association with him and his officers to pick up information of importance. Committing it to paper from day to day, she dispatched note after note to the Confederate leaders by means of a messenger on whose fidelity she knew she could rely. Fidelity, that means loyalty. Loyalty. "'She did not always use a cipher or code "'and made no effort to conceal her handwriting. "'After some time so taken up, "'she concluded that she could further aid the Confederate cause "'by going in person to Richmond. "'General,' she said to General Shields as soon as she saw him again, "'I want you to give me a passport to Richmond.' "'General Shields laughed at her for making such a request "'and indulged in a good deal of badinage at her expense. "'Badinage means kidding, joking.' poking fun old jackson's army he said is so demoralized that i dare not trust you to their tender mercies i will annihilate those rebels in a few days and then you can go wherever you choose general shields had now determined to advance and attack the confederate army encamped at a point further south the night before he set his troops in motion he held a council of war at his headquarters in the boyd residence Hmm, bad idea Belboyd, who had been daily passing backward and forwards between the mansion and the cottage without being questioned, had frequently visited a bedroom, well known to her, situated just above the apartment where the council was to meet, which happened to be the drawing room of the house. In rummaging about the closet, she had noticed a hole in the floor, through which the sound of voices in the room underneath could be easily heard. Indeed, it was so large that placing her eye over it, she could without difficulty make out any person who might be seated below. That night the council came together and she was talking with some of the officers in the drawing room. Finding out that a council was about to be held, she retired, but instead of leaving the house and going over to the cottage, she quietly ascended the stairs to the bedroom and, entering the closet, she lay down flat on the floor placed her ear on the hole, and distinctly caught every word uttered by the men assembled around the table below. The discussion did not come to an end until one o'clock in the morning, but during the long hours it was carried on, she did not change her position. The council broke up, and the officers withdrew from the house to their own quarters. When silence had again fallen, Bell Boyd stole from the closet, descended the stairs on tiptoe, "'unbolted the door without noise and passed with quiet steps across the threshold to the yard without. "'On reaching her own room in the cottage, she took down in cipher the information about the federal plans which she had just obtained. "'Without resting a moment or securing a morsel of food, she ran to the stable, "'and leading out and saddling one of the horses, mounted and rode off at a gallop toward the nearest mountains.' Fortunately for her, she had not forgotten to bring with her several passports which she had asked of General Shields to enable some of her Confederate friends to get through the lines. She had not gone far when she was challenged by a federal sentinel, and was only permitted to continue her journey after her passport had been shown and examined. This happened to her several times, until, having left all the pickets behind, she was at liberty to ride on without further interruption. "'In order to be more secure, "'she deserted the road and entered the fields, "'through which she moved rapidly in spite of the darkness. "'She had covered fifteen miles of ground "'when she found herself in front of the house of a friend, "'whom she had often visited. "'Not a single light was to be seen in any of the windows, owing to the lateness of the hour. "'Leaping from her saddle and not stopping even to tie her horse, "'she ran up the steps and with the butt of her whip "'pounded violently on the door. "'No response was made to the blows at first. Is it possible, she thought to herself, that there's nobody at home? She knocked more vigorously. She called. Then a voice was heard from the depths within. Who's there? It is I. But who are you? What is your name? Bell Boyd. I have important intelligence to communicate to Colonel Ashby. Is he here? Wait a minute. I'll come down. When the person who had been speaking opened the door, his first question was, How on earth did you get here? "'Oh, I forced the sentries, but I have no time to talk. "'Tell me where Colonel Ashby is to be found.' "'Hardly had she spoken when the door suddenly opened "'and Colonel Ashby himself stood before her. "'Good heavens, Miss Bell,' he exclaimed, when he recognized her. "'Where did you come from? "'Have you dropped from the clouds, or am I dreaming?' "'You're awake, and I'm not an angel from heaven,' she replied laughingly, "'and then quickly becoming serious again. "'She repeated to him all that she had overheard "'of the decisions arrived at by the council.' "'She handed him the memorandum in cipher, "'which she knew he was able to translate, "'and mounting her jaded horse,' that means tired, bade the dashing Confederate officer, "'who had not yet fully recovered from his astonishment, "'a gay farewell, and started on her return "'through the fields by which she had come. "'After a ride of two hours, "'she reached the neighborhood of the town.' where there was danger of her being stopped and arrested by the sentinels. But she ran upon only one, and he was so fast asleep that she succeeded in galloping by him before he could shake off his slumber and raise his gun to shoot. Having unsaddled and fed her faithful horse, she turned into bed just as dawn began to break. That day, General Shields, at the head of his troops, left Front Royal in search of Jackson, with the unsuccessful result that is recorded in history. After the departure of the Federal Army, Belle Boyd applied for a passport that would permit her and a cousin to visit Winchester. The passport was promised by the Provost Marshal, but when the carriage rolled up to the door the next morning, the document had not been sent by him, and it was reported that he had left town on a scouting expedition. A Federal lieutenant whom they knew came to where the ladies were impatiently waiting." "'You profess to be a great friend of mine,' said Bell Boyd to him. "'Now prove it. Pass us through the pickets.' The young officer hesitated a moment, then, bidding them enter the carriage, promised that he would accompany them the entire way to assure their safety. Arriving in Winchester, the whole party decided to remain there overnight. Some hours before they were to leave next morning, a gentleman came to the house where the ladies were stopping. Handing two packages of letters to Bell Boyd, he said to her, "'Will you see that these packages are got through the lines "'to the Confederate Army in the Valley? "'This package, pointing to one of the two, is of great importance. "'The other is trifling in comparison.' "'Taking from his pocket a small note, "'This,' he said, "'is an important paper also. "'Please endeavor to have it forwarded to General Jackson. "'You understand?' "'I do,' she replied. "'I will obey your order properly and implicitly.' "'The most important package she concealed "'about the person of her Negro maid.' as she was confident that a black woman would not be searched. The other one she dropped into a small basket which she was taking with her. On it she had written, By the kindness of Lieutenant H. She hid the note in her own bosom. She decided that before she should set out, it would be more prudent to obtain a passport from the officer in command of Winchester, Colonel Philly Brown, which would enable her to return safely to Front Royal, whether Lieutenant H. should accompany her or not. How was she to secure it? Was she not the notorious rebel spy, Belle Boyd? She went to a florist who had a shop nearby, and purchasing a very handsome bouquet, sent it with her best wishes to the federal commander, and she accompanied it with the request that he would allow her, by his express order, to return to her relatives in Front Royal. The passport was promptly dispatched to her with a polite letter, in which the dear lady, quote-unquote, was thanked for so sweet a compliment, quote-unquote. "'Lieutenant H., having now joined the cousins and their maid, "'all started together on the return journey. "'On arriving at the picket line, 2 determined-looking men stopped the carriage. "'They were really detectives. "'We've been instructed,' said one of them, "'looking through the window at Bellboy, "'to arrest you.' "'For what?' she boldly inquired. "'You are charged with carrying letters of importance to the enemy,' "'was the reply. "'The coachman was ordered to turn the carriage around "'and drive back to Winchester.' The two detectives rode on either side of the vehicle all the way. When the party entered the office at headquarters, the cousin and the maid almost sank to the floor in fright, but Belle Boyd showed no discomposure whatever. "'Have you any levers about you?' was the first question put to her by the provost marshal in his sternest voice. Feeling sure that she would be searched should she answer in the negative, she simply stooped down and took from a basket the package on which she had written the words by the kindness of Lieutenant H., "'and handed it to the officer with a low bow, "'but without uttering a word. "'By the kindness of Lieutenant H!' "'he exclaimed in angry tones "'when he had read the superscription. "'What does this mean? "'Have you any other packages or letters?' "'Look for yourself,' replied Belle Boyd coolly, "'and she turned the basket upside down "'so that its contents fell in confusion to the floor.' Lieutenant H.'s face suddenly blanched, for he remembered that he had a second package, which Bell Boyd had taken from the maid and given to him, while the carriage was on its way back to Winchester. He drew it from his pocket and placed it on the table. To his consternation, this package also was inscribed with the words, By the kindness of Lieutenant H. When opened, it was found to contain copies of a newspaper, which would have conveyed to the Confederates information of great value. In vain, both Bell Boyd and the lieutenant asserted that he knew nothing of the character of its contents when the package was delivered to him. The provost marshal looked at her sternly and took no notice of the disclaimers of herself and her companions. What note is that you have in your hand? He demanded. This little scrap of paper, said Bell Boyd innocently, you can have it if you want, it's nothing here it is. She appeared to be about to hand it to him, but in reality she had made up her mind to swallow it. Just as she was about to raise it to her mouth to do so, the provost marshal's attention was diverted to his subordinate, and he forgot, in his renewed indignation over that officer's supposed treasonable conduct, the existence of the important letter to Jackson which was almost within his grasp. The curious manner in which Lt. H. was involved in the transmission of the packages alone, saved Bell Boyd from the punishment that would have certainly followed from her possessing such compromising documents." A few days afterwards, she was sitting in a room at Front Royal, quietly reading to her cousin and grandmother when her Negro maid rushed in. Oh, Miss Bell, she exclaimed, I think the rebels are coming for the Yankees and making an awful fuss in the streets. Bell Boyd sprang to the window. The servant was right. The street was in a state of great confusion. Men were shouting and vehicles were jammed together. There was plainly some extraordinary cause for alarm. What is the matter, she called to a federal officer whom she knew as she saw him passing. The Confederates under General Jackson are approaching, he replied. They're driving back the pickets and are now within a mile of the town. We're trying to get the Ordnance and Quartermaster stores out of their reach. But what will you do with the stores in the large depot? asked Bell. Burn them, of course, replied the officer. If the rebels come up too quickly for us to do so, we'll fight as long as we can, and if defeated, retreat to Winchester, where we'll join General Banks. We'll burn all the bridges behind us. It happened at this moment Bell was in the possession of the following military facts known only to the Federals. General Banks was stationed at Strasburg with 4,000 men. General White could quickly march up to Winchester from Harper's Ferry and reinforce the Federal troops in that town. Shields and Gary were posted not far below Front Royal, while Fremont had not yet arrived in the valley. How was she to send this information to General Jackson? The note received at Winchester had also to be forwarded to him. If he failed to get both, he might fall into the trap which the combined Federal commanders had set for his destruction. All were to converge to catch his army in their coils. She went to the drawer, took out a pair of opera glasses, which she kept there, and through these she could plainly describe the Confederate vanguard approaching at a distance of three-quarters of a mile. cry, that's D-E-S-C-R-Y, I means she could make him out with her opera glasses. That's a small set of binoculars, I think. There was no time for her to lose if she was to communicate with Jackson. Descending to the lower floor in great haste and opening the front door of the house, she saw standing on the pavement a small group of men who had often spoken to her of their devotion to the cause of the South. Beckoning them to her side, she said in a low voice, "'Will any one of you carry to General Jackson information I've collected which may save his army?' They positively refused to undertake so dangerous a mission. You go, you go, they cried out as if with one voice. Perceiving that she would gain nothing by importuning them, that means begging them, she turned and went back into the house, determined to carry the message herself, in spite of the perils which she knew she would have to face. Having put on a white sunbonnet, she went into the street, and as she passed down it, On her way to the road, leading in the direction from which Jackson was approaching, she had to meet the questioning gaze of hundreds of federal soldiers. But as the town was still in a state of great disorder, no one stopped her to inquire about the purpose of her movements, although she was as much as ever under the ban of suspicion. Leaving Front Royal behind, she decided to turn from the road into the open fields in the hope that she would be able to conceal herself there until the Confederate troops should come up and protect her. There was, however, not enough cover to hide her from the eye, especially as she was wearing a white apron over a dark blue dress, and her bonnet was also of the same conspicuous color. In reality, she could easily be seen at a very considerable distance. All this time, she heard the loud firing that was going on between the two hostile forces. The Federal artillery had taken position on a height that commanded the whole length of the road along which the Confederate Army was advancing to the attack with a large body of federal infantry had made a fortress of the hospital and were pouring a heavy fusillade of musketry from its windows. This was responded to hotly from the Confederate side, and the din was rapidly increasing in intensity. The federal pickets outnumbered began to fall back, and as they did so, they saw Belle Boyd running across the fields, and they opened fire on her. Balls soon were hitting the ground about her feet and passing alarmingly close to her head. The Federal soldiers in the hospital followed the example of the pickets, and in a few minutes, Bell Boyd's clothes were pierced by bullets in several places, but fortunately for herself, she was not struck in the body. To increase the perils of her situation, many of the shells in the crossfire between the Federal and Confederate batteries burst over her and scattered their fragments in every direction. Suddenly, a Federal shell came to the ground within 20 feet of where, in her bewilderment, she had momentarily stopped. "'but she had the presence of mind to throw herself flat on the earth before it exploded, "'and when it did so, she was covered with the flying dirt which it raised. "'Leaping to her feet immediately after the concussion, "'she ran forward at the top of her speed, "'while the musket ball still hurtled about her "'and the shells continued to scream in the air overhead. "'She felt that not only was she in imminent danger of being killed, "'but also her death might mean the complete entrapment of the Confederate army.' "'Through the open field she almost flew, "'and when she came to a fence that stood in her way, "'she threw herself over it with the agility of an athlete. "'Not long after leaving the fence behind, "'she caught sight of the gray Confederate ranks, "'and she began at once waving her bonnet "'alternately toward them and toward the town. "'In response, the troops raised a loud cheer, "'and with a quickened step continued their advance, "'and as they went by her, a second cheer, "'louder than the first, broke from their throats.' Were these all the forces which General Jackson could bring to the attack? She asked herself in consternation, as she saw the men move past the spot on which she was standing. It was impossible for so few to outmatch the Federal armies in the neighborhood of Front Royal. Had she made the night ride to Colonel Ashby's, and was she now exposing herself to such peril simply to lure these gallant men to their certain destruction by a superior foe? She was so overcome that, sinking to her knees, she uttered a fervent prayer for their deliverance. Rising from the ground, she saw to her great relief, the main body of the Confederate forces emerged from behind a hill, which had, up to that time, hidden them from her sight. As the van approached, she was recognized by an officer who was a friend and connection of her family, Major Douglas of the Maryland Line. And let me just stop and say here, Major Douglas, this would have been Henry Kidd Douglas, And he wrote an autobiography of his war years. Uh, The title of it is, I Rode with Stonewall. He was a staff officer on Stonewall Jackson's staff. And you will learn things about the Civil War and the Confederate cause and just the times in which all this took place that you won't learn anywhere else. So, you might want to think about ordering that book, I Rode with Stonewall especially if you're really interested as I am in the Civil War. Anyway, so he was a friend of their family, and he writes about this meeting, by the way, in I Rode with Stonewall. "'Good heavens, Belle,' he exclaimed as he rode up. "'You here? What in the name of heaven do you want?' "'Oh, Harry,' she gasped, "'give me time to get my breath.' "'Having recovered her breath, she imparted as quickly as possible "'all the information which she had been able to gather "'about the positions of the Federal troops, "'and also handed to him the note which she had received in Winchester. "'She urged that the cavalry should be sent forward at once "'to seize all the bridges over the Shenandoah below the town "'before they could be destroyed, "'as she had been told they would be by the withdrawing Federals. "'Major Douglas returned to General Jackson at a gallop "'to report what he had heard, and in a short time, Jackson, accompanied by Douglas, rode up and, having questioned her closely, offered her a horse and a military escort escort sorry to ensure her getting back safely to town. The cavalry reached the first bridge barely in time. The Federal rear guard had just crossed over and had already lighted the match, which was to explode the heavy charges that had been placed under the stone arches. The other bridges were also saved by equal promptness. When Belle Boyd arrived at her home, the main Confederate army was filing through her streets. As they caught sight of her on her doorstep, they raised a cheer in her honor. Although they were greatly exhausted, they pressed on in the track of the retreating Federals toward Winchester. Banks was compelled to withdraw to the other side of the Potomac, that's the Federal General Banks, and the whole plan of the Federal campaign was thrown into confusion. Two incidents are recorded which show how clearly the officers on either side recognized the importance of the information which Belle Boyd had either given herself or conveyed for others the guidance of the Confederate leaders. When the Confederate Army, following up General Banks, approached Winchester, Colonel Philly Brown, who, as we have seen, was in command there, began very hastily to gather together all of his effects, and whilst he was doing this, a southern friend of Belle Boyd entered the room. Colonel, he exclaimed, how on earth did you get into this trap? Did you not know that Jackson was advancing? Colonel Philip Brown pointed to the bouquet on the table which Bell Boyd had sent him only a few days before. That bouquet, said he, sadly, did all the mischief. The donor of that gift is responsible for all this misfortune. The other incident, which represents the reverse side of the shield, was the reception by her of the following note. May 22nd, 1862. Miss Bell Boyd, I thank you for myself and for the Army for the immense service that you have rendered your country today. Hastily, I am your friend, T.J. Jackson, (laughs) C.S.A. Thomas J. Stonewall Jackson, Confederate States of America. Oh, it does my old heart good to think how people used to be loyal to their states and uh, how people used to be loyal to the South. Today, most people have forgotten all about the Civil War, and most people who know anything about it don't know the truth. So it's really great to read these wonderful old books that tell the true story. At any rate, whichever side of that war you might have been on, you'd have to admire the courage and creativity of this girl, Belle Boyd. Matter of fact, uh, I've read elsewhere that she was once in prison for having passed on information to the Confederates. The Federals held her in prison. But even as they did, she was gathering information from her contacts, writing it on paper and then slipping it inside rubber balls and throwing them out the window so that her buddies could pick them up and pass them on to who they needed to go to. So she was quite a young lady, this Miss Bell Boyd, who would scarcely have been 20 when the war ended. Well, I look forward to reading to you again next time, little buddies. I hope you enjoy these stories as much as I do. Meanwhile, I would say God bless you. Have a wonderful day. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, always put God first in your life. Be a patriotic American and honor thy father and thy mother. So long. Parents, if your kids enjoyed their visit with Uncle Rick, Know that they will love the Uncle Rick Audiobook Club. The Uncle Rick Audiobook Club allows access to dozens more stories, both from history and the Bible, to help your kids learn about godly character. Here's what one parent had to say about the book club. My children love the stories. They make history so interesting. My son says it is because of the details that most textbooks don't include. Uncle Rick is easy to listen to. We love his accents and explanations. Thank you so much for that testimony. If you'd like to learn more about the Uncle Rick Book Club, please join us over at UncleRickAudios.com. That is UncleRickAudios.com. See you there.